who opens doors no one can close and who closes doors no one can open. We thank you this hour that all things truly do work together for the good of those who love you and are the called according to your purpose. Thank you that even right now, you got everything under control. We pray for this pastor and congregation. As the enemy seeks to scatter them, we pray you'll hold them together. That you would use this bad moment as a testimony of your sovereign grace. In the name of Jesus, give comfort, wisdom, peace, strength, and resources. I pray for his wife and children and for that family that you'll guard their hearts against bitterness. Help them to trust that what is meant for evil, you can work it out for good. In the name of Jesus. And we even pray for the perpetrators, Lord, who, con who are more concerned about control than souls. Lead them to repentance. We pray in the name of Jesus. I'm asking that you would guide me, hold my mind, govern my tongue, and help me, Lord, to discharge the assignment you have given me for this hour. Grant me strength to preach. Ready our hearts to receive with gentleness the implanted word that is able to save our souls. As the seed of the word is planted and watered, we know that only you can make it grow. So we reserve in advance the highest praise and full credit for the fruit that shall come from this time in Jesus' name. Amen. While you're standing, turn with me to thank you for your prayers and your patience. Turn with me to Matthew 7. Matthew 7, I've spent the week preparing something else that I got to preach earlier and it it's left me this morning. I want to say something else this morning. Matthew 7, beginning at verse 7. Jesus is speaking here. The reading is this. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be open for you. For everyone who asks receives. And the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks it will be opened. For which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in, who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Amen. You may be seated. This is God's word. I want to label the message with the three key verbs of verse 7. Ask Seek, knock, ask, seek, knock. In one comic strip, Broomhilda <laughs> and if you're laughing, it only tells how old you are. <laughs> Broomhilda, the short, unattractive 
cartoon witch approaches a wishing well, looks down into it and barks, I don't want anything. In the next frame, she walks away and then in the final frame, she returns to add to the wishing well, I just thought you'd want to know that there's one person around who is fully satisfied. Is that you? Friend, if you think you've got everything together in your life, you are as deceived as that cartoon witch. Truth of the matter is, all of us have needs to be met, hurts to be healed, goals to be reached, voids to be filled, and changes to be made in our lives. Most people know they need help. Few people know where to find the help they need. But the good news today is, that the resources of God made available through the Lord Jesus Christ are totally sufficient to meet any and every need in your life. And the means by which we access those divine resources is prayer. That's the message of Matthew 7, verses 7 through 11. You can pray with confidence that God hears and answers prayer. This paragraph is a part of the Sermon on the Mount recorded in Matthew chapters 5 through 7. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus teaches what is required for citizenship in the kingdom of heaven. The requirement for kingdom citizenship is simply perfect righteousness. So Jesus is not here in the Sermon on the Mount teaching us to practice a faith that, if you will, pulls itself up by its own bootstraps. In fact, the opening statement of the Sermon on the Mount recorded in Matthew chapter 5 verse 3 reads, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. In other words... The only way to be qualified for citizenship in the kingdom of heaven is to admit you are unworthy. That's the truth Jesus seeks to communicate in the Sermon on the Mount in chapters 5 through 7 of Matthew's gospel. We all need divine help to be the righteous people God commands us to be. We cannot do it on our own. We need divine help to be the people that God has called us to be. The question is, how do we access the help from God that we need? Matthew chapter 7, verse 7 answers, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. This paragraph is the second section of the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus addresses the subject of prayer. The first is in Matthew chapter 6 verses 5 through 15. Specifically, verses 9 through 13 of Matthew 6 records what we commonly call the Lord's Prayer. In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus teaches us how to pray. But now in Matthew 7, Jesus addresses another critical issue about prayer, and it is this. Why pray? If God is perfectly good, infinitely wise, exhaustively sovereign, why bothered to pray. If, in other words, if God is going to do whatever he wants to do, 
Why should you bother to pray at all? In Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 through 11, Jesus gives two reasons why you should pray about it. You should pray first in obedience to the command of God, and then secondly, you should pray with confidence in the goodness of God. Let me walk you through those two reasons to pray as fleshed out in the words of the text. Why should you pray about it? The first reason Jesus gives is this, pray in obedience to the command of God. You should pray because God commands you to pray. Look at verses 7 and 8. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. And the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks it will be open. In these two verses, verse 7 is a call to believing prayer. Verse 8 is a promise of answered prayer. First, there is this Call to believing prayer. Three key verbs in verse 7. Ask, seek, knock. The three verbs are imperatives. That is, this is not a recommendation to pray, a suggestion to pray, or even an encouragement to pray. It's a divine command. Jesus orders you to ask for what you need. Seek what you desire and knock where you desire to enter. These three imperatives teach four practical lessons about prayer. How to pray. Not not, Not the mechanics of prayer, but the Spirit of prayer, the attitude of prayer, the disposition of prayer. The first lesson we should consider then in verse 7 is that Jesus teaches us to pray with dependence. Ask. Prayer is not just about asking for stuff. But the first feature of prayer that Jesus mentions here. Is petition, request, supplication, the act of asking for what you need. In fact, the word ask is the key term of the verse, of the text used in each of these five verses. This is about what it means to pray, bringing your needs, hurts, goals, fears, requests, burdens, challenges, hopes to God in prayer. You are to come Asking for what you need. Watch it. He doesn't say when you come to God in prayer that you tell God what to do. Or that you claim promises. Or that you declare and decree what you want from God that he is required to grant. Like a child coming to a parent, you you are to ask God for what you want. This simple term, asking, is the key to prayer. The key to prayer is a heart of dependence. Friends, I, I I can preach week in and week out for months on prayer. You could read book after book on prayer. But I'm telling you, you won't get prayer right until you recognize this fundamental truth, that the key to prayer is a heart of dependence. Uh, Prayer expresses our dependence upon God. Prayer is not informing God of something he doesn't already know. Matthew chapter 6 verse 8 makes it clear that he knows what you need even before you ask. And so your prayer requests are not breaking news in heaven. He already knows. But prayer is, is not informing God of your situation. It's affirming that you recognize that God is the only one who is able to do something about your situation. 
Prayer is your declaration of dependence on God. Prayerlessness is a declaration of independence against God. I want to say that again. The things you pray about reflect the things you are trusting God to do. The things you fail to pray about reflect the things that we foolishly think we can handle on our own. Text says, pray with dependence, ask. But then it says, pray with earnestness. Seek. The word seek is meant to tell us that prayer is not some passive act. When we're in trouble, our instincts tell us to do something, and we don't instinctively pray because we don't instinctively think of prayer as doing something. The church, the word here, seek, means that effective prayer doesn't watch me just ask God for what you need and then sit back and wait to see what the answer's going to be. After you get off your knees in prayer, he said, don't sit down and wait. Start seeking what you need. In, in other words, prayer is not about let go and let God. It's more like hold on and let God. We're to pray fervently and passionately and earnestly. James 5 verse 16 says the effective prayer of a righteous person has great power when it is working. We are to seek God in prayer. That, that is, we are to work like it, it all depends on us, but at the same time, we're to pray as if it all depends on God. And in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these other things that you attempted to worry about will be fully supplied. Pray, Jesus says, with dependence, with earnestness, and then he says, pray with boldness. Here's the key term, third one. Knock. Luke chapter 11, verses 5 through 8, in the middle of the night, a man received an unexpected guest. He welcomed him in but didn't have any food to serve him, so he went to his neighbor's house to borrow a few loaves until the market opened in the morning. But his friend said, no, leave me alone. The door is shut. My children are in bed with me. I cannot give you anything. But the man at the door just kept on knocking until the one in the house got up to give him bread, watch me, not out of friendship, but just to get this man off his porch so he could go back to sleep. You have misunderstood the parable, you have misunderstood prayer, and for that matter, you have misunderstood God if you think the point is that you got to harass God enough in prayer so that he'll give you what you want so you can get off his nerves. No, Jesus is presenting God as the anti-hero of the story. The lesson is a lesson in contrast. The point of the parable is that if that man who was asleep will get up to help his friend with a need just so he can go back to sleep. How much more will your father in heaven who never slumbers nor sleeps, how much more will he meet your need because he cares for you? And so Jesus says you ought to pray boldly. You ought to you ought to not care what people got to say. You ought to keep knocking until you get what you need from God. Hebrews 4 verse 16 says, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, 
that we might receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. There's one more lesson in verse 7. It is not based upon the individual verbs. It's based upon the verbs collectively. The lesson is to pray with perseverance. Ask, seek, knock are imperatives in the present tense, which in Greek denotes continual or habitual activity. Literally, Jesus is saying in verse 7, keep on asking. Keep on seeking. Keep on knocking. Pastor, is it wrong to pray about something more than once? Jesus answers, keep on asking. Keep on seeking. Keep on knocking. There are those who suggest that if you pray about a matter more than once, it expresses a lack of faith. Here what Jesus is saying is that what may truly express a lack of faith is when you fail to pray persistently. Just between me and you. Have you ever prayed about something that you desperately wanted from God? You, you prayed passionately, desperately, earnestly. Lord, I, I need this. I got to have this. And God didn't give it. And you was upset for a while. But now that you've been down the road a little bit and look back in the rearview mirror of life, you look back in the rearview mirror of life and you're like, thank you, Lord. Woo! I'm so glad that you didn't do that for me because I, I, I don't know what kind of mess I would be in if you would have gave me what I asked for. This is why persistence in prayer is important. If God gave us everything we asked for at the first request, we would receive a lot of things that are not God's best for us. And so praying with persistence is not just about getting what you want. It's about shaping your perspective so God will teach you what you ought to want. Are y'all in here with me? And so Jesus says, pray, keep praying by asking, continually asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking. Bruce Bell Graham said it well. Pray when you feel like it because it's a sin to neglect such a wonderful opportunity. And then pray when you don't feel like it because it's dangerous to stay in that condition. Can I try it another way for you? Let me just say it simply like this. It's three times you ought to pray. Pray when you feel like it. Pray when you don't feel like it. And pray until you feel like it. <laughs> Have I got a witness? So verse 7 is a call to believing prayer. Verse 8 is a promise of answered prayer. Notice that in verse 7, every call to prayer is accompanied by a promise to answer. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. And if that's not clear enough, verse 8 emphasizes. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks knocks and to the one who knocks it will be opened. Jesus is emphatic in this passage. God answers prayer. I, I got to move on. But can I just check the house? Is there a witness here that God answers prayer? Really, this is the other big reason why you ought to pray. You ought to pray because God commands it, but, but really, 
if I may personally, one of the reasons I wrote a book on prayer is because many of the books I had read on prayer didn't to me reflect the spirit of prayer because the Bible doesn't command us to pray and then beat us up when we don't pray. Rather, every, many times the commands to pray are woven in with these wonderful promises to woo us to pray, to beckon us to pray, to motivate us to pray. It's as if the scriptures say the first reason you ought to pray is because God told you to pray, and the other reason why you ought to pray, hold on to your seats, is because it works. But this is no blank check. It allows you to write your own ticket with God. There are some, there are some times when prayer doesn't work. Prayer doesn't work for unbelievers. I don't get access to the throne of grace because I'm so good or because my faith is so great or my words are appropriate. I have access, you have access to the throne of grace because the blood and righteousness, as the words of Hebrews say, the blood and righteousness of Christ opens for us a new and living way to God. Of myself, I have no right to expect to have an audience with God and I don't want one without a, an atonement because to stand before God in my own righteousness will bring judgment. It is only when I'm covered by the blood of Jesus that I can go to the throne and it ain't a throne of judgment, it's a throne of grace. So no unbeliever should expect to get his or her prayers answered from God. The only prayer of an unbeliever that God answers is Romans chapter 10, verse 13. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. But likewise, unrepentant believers should not expect their prayers to get answered. Psalm 66 verse 18 says, if I cherish iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not listen. This is why you got to keep short accounts with God. This is why you can't afford to be walking around mad at folk. Bitter and angry and hateful. This is why you can't allow sin to build up in your life because you, you, you don't ever know when you're going to need God. And when you, you know, when you pick up the main line to call on God, you don't want no angel talking about, you know, well, I'll have to put you on hold for see if he's available. <laughs> you, know, you, you want to be on speaking terms with God, that is. You, 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 want, you want to make sure that there's nothing standing between your heart and your Savior. The Bible says in Proverbs 28, verse 13, that whoever conceals his sin will not prosper, but whoever confesses it and forsakes it will find mercy. Likewise, people that pray selfish requests won't get answers from God. James chapter 4 verse 2 says, you do not have because you do not ask. And then James 4 verse 3 says, you ask and do not receive because... You act wrongly to spend it on your passions. God will not answer my prayers if my prayers are motivated by selfishness, lust, and pride. But here's where I want to get to. You can be a sincere believer, a godly believer, a faithful believer, and, and pray and still not get everything you want. Let the church say amen. You, you could be totally sold out to God. Every area of your life submitted to him, and you still not get everything you want from God. The problem is, that we try to have 
a broad view from a narrow window. We don't know everything God is up to in our lives when we pray. I, I knew you wouldn't like this part, so I brought a witness with me. There was no more committed Christian in the world than the Apostle Paul. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, he is so honored because of his faithfulness that he gets a trip to heaven and hears things that are so holy he can't repeat them. But after his trip to heaven, he says, God gave me a thorn in the flesh. A messenger of Satan to torment me so that I wouldn't get lifted up in pride. Because God had been so good to me. He gave me a thorn in the flesh. I, he didn't want me walking around with swag. So he gave me a thorn so I'd have to walk with a limb. And, and it was so painful. I wish I had a prayer in church. It was so painful that I asked the Lord three times to remove the thorn in the flesh. I said, Lord, I can't preach with a thorn in the flesh. I can't plant churches with a thorn in the flesh. I can't spread the gospel with a thorn in the flesh. So I asked God three times to remove it. And Paul says, the Lord told me I'm not going to remove the thorn in the flesh, but my grace is sufficient for you. Lord, help me here. And, and my strength it's perfected in your weakness. Is there a witness here? That even when it don't all work out, everything ain't worked out the way you wanted it to work out, but his grace has been sufficient. His strength works best in weakness. That's, that's the power of weakness. Lord, keep me weak. Because when I'm strong, start sticking my chest out as if I got here by myself. But when I'm weak, Lord, the weaker you feel, the more you lean on him. So verses 7 and 8 says, pray in obedience to the command of God. But verses 9 through 11 says, pray with confidence in the goodness of God. When you pray, your confidence should not be in your own worthiness. Your confidence should not be in the greatness of your faith. Your confidence should not be in the power of your words. When you pray, your confidence should be in the goodness of God. We pray, not only because God commands us to pray, but we pray to express our confidence in the fact that God is good. On one hand, Jesus shows us in the text the instinctive goodness of human fathers, and then he shows us the infinite goodness of heavenly fathers. First, consider with me the instinctive goodness of human fathers. Two rhetorical questions in verses 9 and 10. Jesus asked, which one of you, if your son asks him for bread, will give him a stone, or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? The assumed answer to these rhetorical questions is that no one would do this. He says a good father doesn't give useless gifts. Verse 9. Son comes up and asks his daddy for bread. Not an allowance, not an electronic device, not keys to the car, bread. Basic necessity, bread. Not McDonald's bread. He's asking for what he needs to survive. Would his father give him a stone instead of bread? The bread of the poor, a little loaf, a little biscuit would be the size of a stone. Would a good father think it's funny 
when this hungry child asks for bread, to go outside and get a stone and put that on the plate for him to eat? The assumed answer is, of course not. Neither does God. God doesn't give useless gifts. James 1.17 says it this way, every good gift. And every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. God doesn't give useless gifts. And he says no human father would give useless gifts and no human father would give harmful gifts. That's verse 10. If he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent? In the ancient Near East, a small reptile may look very similar to a small fish. Would, would a son go to his father and ask for fish and the son receive, instead of a fish, a serpent, a snake, a reptile? To, to give stone instead of bread is irresponsible. Worse, to give a snake instead of fish is child endangerment, child abuse. He says, no good father would do that, neither will God. <laughs> you missed it. What Jesus is talking about bread and fish is actually explaining for us the mystery of unanswered prayer. I asked for this and God did that. Why? Because God doesn't give anything that is spiritually useless. He doesn't give stones when he knows you need bread. Uh... In other words, church, it's God's will to make you holy, not happy. And it's only when you get in alignment with his will that you discover that to be holy is to be happy. Romans 8 verse 29 says, for whom he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. That's God's singular purpose for your life, not for you to be rich, not for you to be happy, not for you to be successful, not for you to be fulfilled, not for you to be prominent. He's got one purpose for your life, and that's to make you look like Jesus. And God gives and God withholds, not on the basis of what makes you happy, but on the basis of what will make you look like Jesus. And so every now and then, God's, God's got a real defi different definition of good than we do. We think it's good if it's pleasurable, if it's comfortable, if it's successful, that's not how God defines good. God says it's good if it makes you look like Jesus. And so, gee, so sometimes when you got a broken heart and got the crack and you wonder where God is, God's sitting on the throne saying, that's good for you. Oh, help me hear somebody. Some, Sometimes when there's a need in your life and instead of a promotion, you got a pink slip and you're wondering where God is. God said, that's good for you because I'm trying to teach you how to trust in me and not in a paycheck. It, if it makes you look like Jesus. Y'all not hearing me here. I knew I wouldn't have a way. I testify for myself. Andre Crouch said it well, I thank God for my mountains, and I thank God for my valleys, and I thank God for the storms he brought me through, because if I never had a problem, I wouldn't know that God could solve them, and I wouldn't know what faith in God can do, but I'm here to be a witness through it all. I've learned to trust in Jesus. I, I've learned to trust in God. I had to go through it all, but I learned you can depend. On his word, God does not give gifts that are spiritually useless, and God does not give spiritual gifts that are spiritually harmful. This is why we struggle in prayer. 
sure you got great faith, but you got blurry vision. And because you got blurry vision, sometimes what looks to you to be fish is really a serpent. It looked good. Y'all ain't in here with me. It looks tasty. It looks enjoyable. And you desperately want it because you think it's fish. But God sees what you can't see. And God knows what you don't know. And he recognizes that what you think is fish is actually a serpent that will do you harm. What if your young child asked you for a dangerous snake? What would you say? No. <laughs> what if they cried and begged and screamed? Would you change your, man, your mind? That, that, hold on, hold on. Hold on. What, what if, what if your child said to you, if you don't give me that snake, I'm not talking to you no more. Would you change your mind? And God, who is infinitely wise, says sometimes love requires that I tell you no, no matter how upset you get about it. You need to thank God for the no. I wish I had a praying church. We was riding home from midweek Wednesday night this past Wednesday. And my baby daughter was with me, Haley, I call her Bug. And so you want anything before we go in? She says, Chick-fil-A. We got to Chick-fil-A and it's a lot of cars, a lot of traffic coming in and out. I said, you want to go through the drive-through or walk in? She said, let's go in. You sure? Yeah, let's go in. I parked and we got out. And when we got out, I said, well, she regularly hears me say when we cross a parking lot across the street since she was a child. Littler, hand bug. She know what that means. She, she can't be walking by herself across this parking lot. And, and without saying nothing, she, she usually just instinctively grabs my hand till we get to the curb or wherever. As we were walking it from the car into the Chick-fil-A, though, I, I said, hand bug. She 10 years old now. And I don't know if she thinks it's 10 going on 21, but I could see the expression on her face. Y'all not in here with me. And she reached out because she couldn't, wouldn't disobey, but she reached out and she just kind of loosely took my hand. And I, she kind of pouted as we walked across, but I didn't let her hand go because she was pouting. It's cars and traffic. Are y'all in here with me? And I held her hand till we made it into the store. And I think that sometimes in our faith walk where we think we growner than we really are. And we think we can walk this walk by ourselves. Thank God he sees what I don't see. And he says, I don't care how big you think you are. You got to let me take your hand because you can't make it by yourself. Do you hear me? And you know your faith is big. Not when you try to walk the walk by yourself, but when you learn how to say, precious Lord, Take my hand. Come on, talk to me. Lead me on. Let me stand.
Let me let you alone. Verse 11 says, if you then who are evil, wait one minute. Jesus is talking to his disciples. He doesn't call them saints. He calls them evil. You gave up everything to follow me. You'll risk your lives for me and die as martyrs. But I don't want you thinking you are more than what you are. You disciples, but you still evil. This is why the church should be marked by mercy. Because none of us have arrived. The most holy person in this room still got a long way to go. This is why none of us are in a place to judge and condemn and look down on anybody else. Because at our best, we still got twisted iniquity in us that God needs to work out. But listen to what Jesus says. I'm trying to quit. As evil as you are, you love your children so much that you was out in the streets on Black Friday in the middle of the night to get good gifts for your children. Y'all ain't in here with me. And if you being evil know how to take care of your children. Come on, go with me here. How much more will your father who is in heaven give good gifts if you just ask him? Is there a witness to that? That he'll give you good gifts if you just ask him? Uh, listen. Don't judge the goodness of God by where you live, by where you work, by what you wear, by what you drive, by what you have in the bank account. The goodness of God cannot be measured by those temporal things. You want proof of the goodness of God? Run to the cross and look at Jesus. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. God gave us the best that he had, and we didn't even ask for it. We were dead in trespasses and sins, and he gave us Jesus anyhow. Romans 8 verse 32 says, he who spared not his own son but gave him up for us all. How will he not with him graciously give us all things? If he gave his son to die so your sins would be forgiven, can't you trust him to pay your bills in December? and to watch over your family in January? Y'all not listening to me here. The Chicago evangelist Dwight L. Moody was thinking about the goodness of God. and got so overwhelmed thinking about how God had blessed him and smiled on him and showered him with favor that before he could catch himself, he had cried out, God, stop! Just felt like he couldn't take no more blessings. Thank God for Dwight L. Moody. But that ain't my testimony. <laughs> is that your testimony? No, mine is just the opposite. You can stop with Moody. But Lord, don't stop with me. Don't stop working in me. Don't stop working on me. Don't stop working for me. Don't stop working through me. Don't stop working around me. 
Have I caught a witness here? Is there anybody here say, Lord, whatever you want to do, just, just don't stop being good to me. And if you ask him, he'll give you good things. The Bible says he's able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we could ask or think by the power that works in us. I'm quit when I testify. I stole my testimony from the Cosmopolitan House of Prayer in Chicago. They choir is famous for one song. And the lead singer testifies in that one song they famous for. She says, that problem that I had, I just couldn't seem to solve. I tried and I tried but I just got deeper involved. But then I turned it over to Jesus and I stopped worrying about it. I turned it over to the Lord and he worked it out. Is there a witness in this house that he knows how to work it out? Don't wait for me, I'm finished. Give him a praise for yourself. Don't, don't wait for me, I'm through. But if you know he'll work it out, Give him praise. Come on, church. Is that is that is that reflective of how good he's been to you? I said, if you know he'll work it out. Give him 